in the great hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes, created from the cosmic legends of the universe. Superman. Wonder Woman. Batman. Aquaman. And those three junior super friends, Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. Their mission to fight injustice, to right that which is wrong, and to serve all mankind. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of For All Mankind, a Super Friends podcast. For All Mankind is a read-through show covering DC Comics' classic Super Friends series, which ran for 47 issues from 1976 to 1981. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and joining me this episode is my super friend, Paul Kien. Hi, Paul. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you. This is fantastic. I, I have to give everybody a little bit of a backstory. Uh, Paul, you and I live relatively close to one another here in yeah. New Jersey. <laughs> uh, we're, we're New Jersey contingent. And you and I got together for the first time just before the world went kerflui. <laughs> so it really worked out perfectly is that we at least got a chance to break bread together at that wonderful diner uh, before we knew we not realizing we would not have the chance again to do it at all for, for who knows how long. Yeah, really. But uh, no, it was great to to get together and ha- and have lunch and we uh you know, I love the Fire and Water network, so this is uh this is uh this is a real treat. I'm, you know, first-time podcaster, so hoping you'll take it easy on me. <laughs> we'll be as gentle as possible. So, of course, the issue we're here to talk about is Super Friends number 11. The story is King Slayer. It's of course by E Nelson Bridwell, Ramona Frayden, and Bob Smith. It was on sale January 12th. 1978. But before we get to the plot of this particular issue, Paul, I got to ask you, like, what's your history with the Super Friends series? So I'm a, a slight bit older than you, Rob. So when I, when the Super Friends TV show and comic was out, like TV show was before the comic, right? Um, yeah. I, I liked it, but I was a little old for it, you know, because by the time 1978 hit, I would have been 13, right? So it was, you know, my like you, my favorite comic was the Justice League growing up. So I did like the Super Friends. I bought every issue off the stands. I still have all 47, you know, <laughs> and and so uh, you know, I haven't read them since the late 70s um, until you started your show, and I've been reading along uh, with you and enjoying uh, the comic and the show. Um, I have to say, you know, um, when it was first out, I didn't watch sort of every Super Friends show as it came out, but I read the issues every every month, and um, you know, I liked the comic, even though it was a little simplistic, right? Um, but you know, I loved, and it comes into the play in this issue as well. I loved how Ines and Bridwell really worked hard to tie the Super Friends comic into the broader DC universe. Um, and we see a good amount of it this issue, like oh, I said. Oh, boy, howdy, do we, yeah. So, and and, and like, I, I know your last guest, uh, John uh, Wilson, said he liked the comic better than show. I'm probably, you know, in that in that vein as well. You know, like I said, I thought it was simplistic, but as I'm rereading them now, as a, as a much older adult, I really uh, am appreciating them a lot more. And so much creativity. By you know some people, the Global Guardians, all these characters, all the all the the villains. You know, some of them are hit or miss, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, but the creativity uh, at play is really um, amazing. 
big fan. You have to wonder, like, how much of this stuff did ENB just have in his head? Or did he, I mean, obviously he had access to all the records of DC yeah. comics and every, but, but still this was, that was a lot of work probably to like research all these things and like dig up these old characters and put a name in. I mean, nowadays it's just a click away. Yeah. Back then he had to go through some musty old books or like microfiche or something and like look up some character from a 1953 story and drop it in. I mean, this yeah, sure it's amazing work involved had to be done. Yeah. You know, I, I wish, you know, back in the day, I could have uh, taken a visit into those, you know, DC uh, archives that they kept. Oh, you man. Know? Um, yeah. So that, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so what do you, what do you uh, think of generally as Ramona Frayden's work? I mean, I think uh, it's a loaded question because I don't know anybody who doesn't like it, but, no, I, ask, but it's, you know, I really like the, the, the clean lines. I think I definitely appreciated a lot more, um, today than I did when I was younger. Cause you know, at that, at that time, right. 1978, I was 13. And, you know, my favorite were, were like the Jim Aparo and, mm. and Neil Adams. And, you know, I love those guys. And then at that was also when, you know, George Perez and John Byrne were just, you know, right. hitting their stride. Right. And so, you know, between all those, you know, all those guys, it was, you know, Ramona Fraden's a very different style. Right. Yeah. Um, so while I always, you know, she's very good, clean storyteller, you know, it wasn't as, you know, ex- as exciting to me back then, but I do appreciate it a lot more now. 13 is such a dangerous age. Cause it's like, yeah. you're, that's the moment where you kind of are like, you really are rejecting all your kids stuff because you want to feel like you're a grown up, but it's you're obviously you're not. You're only 13, but that's when you, re- at least I find you be you're, you become very very dismissive yep. of the stuff you loved as a kid. And I can remember being 13 or 14 and like giving away all my Star Wars figures to my cousin because <laughs> I was like I'm not a kid anymore. And it's like I want to go back in time and say, kid, j- just put him in the attic. Just don't you don't have to play with them anymore, but just put them in the <laughs> attic because in five years you'll want them all again. You know, yeah, but, but yeah. That, that thirteen to fifteen, you're like I'm an adult now. I don't read Super Friends. That's for kids. And you're like, yeah. now here well, I am at forty eight. Yeah. I'm doing a podcast about Super Friends. Yeah, had he not tied it so much into the the DCU, I may very well have, have fallen off it as well. I didn't. I did really enjoy that part of it. So before we get to the the story, I want to ask you about the cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got this cover here, and it says the Super Friends. And by the way, we finally see that the the logo that recedes off into the horizon does stop at a certain point. They realize it can't go on forever, so they actually just draw a line across and stop it. <laughs> but we've got the Super Friends and the Wonder Twins at the UN. Uh, in the biggest UN chamber I've ever seen, this thing looks like <laughs> it looks like Thunderdome. It's so huge, and we've got them all. And then there's a bunch of armed uh, men, and there's a guy in a costume, and he's cocking a gun, and he says that we have all the kings attending the UN conference trapped in one room, and not even the super friends can save them. And it says the King Slayer. So, what do you think of this cover? So. I have to give it an, an okay, and, and here's why. I think the Super Friends are too small on the cover. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the Kingslayer character. I think he looks, you know, menacing enough, and, and he's, and he, you know, got the on, the on his uh, <laughs> on his uh, mouth. Um, but the, but the UN symbol is like way too big and prominent on the <laughs> on the, on the uh, cover. If 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 they had just made the characters of the Super Friends uh, a little bigger, if, if Ramona had done that, I think it would have been a little more um, exciting. I do like how Superman is like being really protective of Xan yeah, and Jaden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got his hands, got his big giant hands on them. He's now. like, I'll protect you, kids. And um, you know, on a spinner rack, if you think about it, all you're going to see is the logo. 
Yeah. So, um, so I think it's okay. I, like I said, I do like the, the Kingslayer, the look of the villain here and, uh, super friends look in danger. All the, the people in the UN behind them, um, are a little too small to make much of a difference, but I like it. But it's not my favorite Ramona Frieden. Right, right, yeah. I think that's I think that's uh, that's accurate. It's not bad, but it's not one of her best either. So it's, it's, there's a lot going on. I do like that it, that she bothered to draw. There's on the uh, right by the Kingslayer's head. There's like a guy running up the stairs. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm guessing he's like a guard and he's there to protect the three chairman. UN, Haile Selassie or something there. I like I like that. I like that little detail. She didn't have to draw that. I like that yeah. she threw that guy in. He's like, I got to get these three out of here because there's yeah. a bunch of bad gunmen. I thought that was pretty cool. So. Yeah, that is a good good touch, yeah. So, all right, so yeah, the story is called, uh, on the cover it says The Kingslayer, but on the uh, opening page it simply says Kingslayer. So it starts with an imperious-looking man on a throne named Overlord is talking to a heavily-armed masked man named Kingslayer, who says his specialty is political assassinations. Overlord wants to hire Kingslayer, and when he gets into why the masked man brushes him off, saying he doesn't care about the whys, he only wants the money. Later, Steve Howard, a.k.a. Steve Trevor, gets on the phone with Diana Prince and tells her that the SOS has intel suggesting that a hit has been put out on one of the heads of state due to arrive at the UN tomorrow. He also says that they have narrowed the possible targets down to six, causing Diana put in a call to the Super Friends to arrange super protection. On the way to New York, Wonder Woman and her invisible jet follows the plane of Queen Astrid, one of the potential victims. She sees three missiles headed towards the plane, lassoing them so they collide into one another and explode harmlessly. In the subways of New York, a disguised Batman accompanies his charge. But the Kingslayer is on to the ruse and blasts his target, causing him to fall onto the subway tracks. As he is, as Kingslayer escapes, Batman rescues the fallen monarch at the last second. The Wonder Twins, assigned to look after Solovar of Gorilla City, are driving in a taxi. Suddenly, the walls of the cab start closing in, and the cabbie jumps out. Using their powers, Zan and Jaina save Solovar from becoming crushed. Kingslayer seems to be all over the city at once, making attempts at Robin and a Princess Evelina, Aquaman and his old friend King Volko, and Superman and Prince Mark of Sidonia. Little does Kingslayer know, but the royal he thought he blew up via a bomb inside a bottle of champagne was actually Superman. The Man of Steel has a fake news story planted in the Daily Planet saying Mark was assassinated. Kingslayer is pleased that he hit at least one of his targets, then moves on to what he calls his real assignment. The Super Friends compare notes and deduce that Kingslayer has a second plan to wait until the various rulers get to the conference and then strike. At the UN, the various heads of states are congregating. The Super Friends burst in and make sure none of them sit in their assigned chairs. Superman shows that the chairs were rigged with a lethal electrical device. Not only that, but Kingslayer had two additional death traps arranged, all of which have been stopped by the Super Friends. But then Kingslayer arrives in the hall, along with henchmen all brandishing rifles. But the Super Friends are too fast for our would-be Lee Harvey Oswald, and they make quick work of all the gunmen. Having captured everyone, the Super Friends surmise what to do with Kingslayer, suggesting they use Wonder Woman's magic lasso to force him to reveal who hired him. Jaina remarks it's too bad Gleek wasn't in on the mission. He would have liked to have met Solovar. <laughs> so, all right, Paul, what do you think of Kingslayer? I, I really enjoyed it. I liked the, 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 the chapter structure. Um, instead of little teams, they're sort of one-off with, with, their, uh, with their charges that they have to guard. Um, you know, my, my, um, I, I really liked some of the touches. I liked how Wonder Woman got the call from Steve Howard, right? Because during that part of the Bronze Age, Steve Trevor had come back to life, and they called him Steve Howard, which you, you noted in your – in your uh, callback, but uh, overall, I really enjoyed it. 
I, uh, I, it's sort of funny. I mean, the, before I even get into this, no way in any sense is any Super Friends story edgy because that's not what Super <laughs> Friends was. It was a kid's book. It was meant as a kid's book. That said, I like the idea that the Kingslayer is a political assassin. I mean, yeah. and what do you do when you do when you assassinate, assassinate somebody? You kill them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to this point, I mean, yeah, some, I mean, in the previous uh, issues that we covered, they talked about the, the world's going to end. And there was even that horrible sequence where they talk about what would happen if all the plants died and a poor right. dog would die. I mean, you know, they, they did put that stuff in. But generally, you didn't have bad guys brandishing uh, lethal weapons like that. Like, they're literally just going to assassinate. He's going to murder people. Yeah, uh, which I thought was interesting. I mean, he's just this he's straight up like, no, you just hire me to to kill people. Like, okay, cool. Yeah, and I like how when he, 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 he you know, the um, uh, the Overlord says says, uh, well, I'm going to do this, and, and he's like, I don't care. Yeah, so I just <laughs> no, want the money. <laughs> he's like, yeah, yeah, and he even he even literally says something to Overlord like, tell it to your shrink. Because he's just like, because obviously, first of all, and we'll have some of the pages on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. Overlord is one of the goofiest looking. I mean, he's, I guess he's ostensibly a supervillain because he's dressed like one, but he just seems to be a crazy mad king. He's got this magenta costume and white boots and a furry cape with um, a a globe on his chest with a, a, a crown around it. And then his hat is a globe too. So it's like, Something Elvis would have worn kind of in during the late stage of his career. I mean, and we never see Overlord again after these two pages in this comic. It's all just becomes about the story. But Overlord, obviously, Overlord has a lot of insecurities, a lot of issues in his personality. And, and Kingslayer picks up on that. He's like, just give me the money, man. I don't care why you're doing it. Just give me the money. I'll, 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 tell, I'll hit whoever you want me to hit. Yeah, and the Kingslayer design I like a little bit better. You know, um, I like how his he's, he's got on his chest a, a crown, but it's – ruptured in two <laughs> right on the nose like there n- right. <laughs> and and so I, I don't know he he i wish i got a, we got a little bit more of that uh, uh, during the rest of the issue as opposed to the you know he, he just he was running from assignment to assignment and we didn't really get to see him uh do anything else uh but uh, but i do like that that uh sequence on page two for sure yeah i also like that the overlord has like this his toady who we, and he's and he's like got the Mr. Burns. He's even doing in in on in both panels with the toady. He's doing the thing with the hands folded. Again, extra little detail by, by Ramona Frayden and Bob Smith to do. But I I love that everyone knows, even in a children's comic, you, you don't have to explain who this guy is. It's like every power man dictator has a toady who is yeah. whispering in his in his ear, telling him yes that he's. I mean, he literally calls him underling. I know. And he's got a U on his shirt for yeah. underling. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> not, the, not the most subtle thing in the world. Uh, you mentioned a thing with Steve Howard, uh, a.k.a. Steve Trevor. I had no memory of, of this part of Wonder Woman continuity. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody could keep Wonder Woman continuity straight in the 70s because it was constantly being yanked around. So thankfully, there is a not not one but two footnotes in that panel, one of them explaining it's known as Steve Trevor before the goddess Aphrodite restored him to life, the big E. So I was like, oh, good. Okay. Because when I first saw it, I was like, who's Steve Howard? Like, and then I said, oh, I see. Okay. That's Steve Trevor. I understand. Yeah, well, I think what happened was right during the, you know, powerless era 
of uh, Wonder Woman, right? Denny O'Neill killed off Steve Trevor. Right. Uh, and then they brought him back. And I don't know if it had anything to do with, you know, the TV show being on because then she went into the World War II adventures. And that's when I actually first started buying Wonder Woman. The first issues that I bought off the stands were were in that sort of mid to late 70s. And that was – she was in World War II at that time. Right. And then they – moved her back to the present day. And I think at that point they wanted to have Steve Trevor back, but rather than the current comic book where they just come up with a reason why he's still alive here, they brought him back, but Oh, everybody thinks he's dead. We need a new name. (laughs) (laughs) He calls her angel, uh, which I always remember that Steve, Steve Trevor would do. So I was like, okay, that's who that is. So then they, they have the meeting at the uh, hall of justice. And I look, it's kind of a weird piece of dialogue where Wonder Woman says, I wish flash green lantern and Adam and the rest were here to help us. (laughs) What? You took the words out of my mouth. That was like, you guys will just have to do. (laughs) You realize you're kind like you're standing next to Superman and you're wishing the atom was around. I mean, no offense to the atom, but really like that's that, that that just made me laugh that they were like, okay, I guess we're, and then they are, they really are. And then in the previous page of the dialogue, which says most of the justice league members are busy. I'll get the super friends in on this one. It really does kind of set up that the super friends are, Almost like the scrub team of the Justice League, kind of like, well, the Justice League's busy, so let's get the core five super friends. Let's get Robin in on this. It's like a little like, that's kind of a weird diss of the characters in their own title. Yeah, I I thought that was funny too, um, you know. But I I I I love page three because I was you know reading this along you know for the to to prepare um, and. Uh, I was reading Wonder Woman giving out the assignments, and she gets to Robin, and she says, Robin, you know, Princess Evelina of Aldania, and Robin says, Batgirl and I once helped her in a similar situation. I'll take her, and I'm sure you will, Robin. But <laughs> um, but I had just – during the pandemic, I've been reading a lot of uh, – Bronze Age stories, and I had just done a reread of Batman Family. So uh, that's actually – Princess Evelina comes – uh, it appears in Batman Family number five from about a year and a half prior to this. It's uh, people want to read the Batman Family. It's also on the DC Universe app. Um, unfortunately, she doesn't actually show up to the last page. She actually gets more <laughs> screen time in this issue than she does in that one. But that got me thinking about the other ones. Of course, we know King Volko and King we Volca, know Salivar, right? right? Um, but um, then I looked up Pr- Prince Mark, and um, it's it's funny. Uh, I had a vague recollection of a situation where Superboy was the spitting image of a, of a prince. And uh, in fact, when I looked it up on Mike's Amazing World, Prince Mark appeared in Adventure Comics number 303 from 1962. All right. And you might, and, and so, you know, how in the 60s, every TV show and all the media, they all like this double concept, right? Um, prince and the Pauper and so forth. But, but, uh, that happened to have been reprinted in Four Star Spectacular number five, okay? Uh-huh. And that in 1976. And so that was about a year before this would have been written. So clearly that was on Ian Nelson Bridwell's mind. And um, that I actually bought off the stands when I was, you know, 10, 11 years old. And uh, I went and I pulled that up and reread that story, and it's it's a hoot, you know, uh, where where Superboy, you know, Clark Kent falls out of a plane, happens to land in this <laughs> kingdom of of a of um, Sardonia, Sardonia, and um, 
happens to look exactly like the prince and of course has an adventure there and foils an assassination plot and kisses the girl. So now she likes the uh, prince better. Uh, and then of course the prince saves the day at the end of safe face. So it's, it's a fun story. I did not find anything on Prince Ali of Caliph or uh, Queen Astrid, the one Wonder Woman saves. Uh, but, um, but both Prince Mark and, you know, you know, some would love to do that, which I thought sure was uh, super cool. Superman even mentions it. He says, I met him once when we were boys. He'll be my assignment. So uh, I always, again, I wonder uh, the, the order of that stuff is like, did he, I, I'm guessing that he wrote this basic plot and then thought to himself, oh, hey, you know, I can go back and tie this into some previous stories. What What's back in their history? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and as you just said, that one had just been reprinted. So it probably was a lot fresher in his mind than if it had not been. I mean, he probably still knew that story because he was E. Nelson Bridwell. He remembered all this stuff. But, <laughs> really? uh, but nevertheless, although I do find it interesting that there are, there are not footnotes on the page where they talk about yeah. where Superman says it and Robin says You would think they could have thrown that in and say, oh, bad, you know, bad girl Check and out Robin bad. met Princess yep. Evelina in Batman Family number 11 or whatever. Especially when right on the page before they go to the trouble to do it. You know? Yeah, right, exactly. So I thought that was that was fun. Again, ENB just was insane at this stuff, how good he was at digging this stuff out of the crevices of the DC universe. So, yeah. uh, And then so we get to the sequence with Wonder Woman where she rescues, she grabs the missiles and slaps them together, which again is a nice sequence. And then she meets the princess and she has to have, I'm happy to be of your service, Your Majesty. And then we go to the New York subway system where Batman is in the Batman and the, this monarch that he's got are both in disguise. I love uh, the... <laughs> The fake beard that the the monarch's got. And <laughs> he's got a huge beard. He's got a huge beard, and he has these gigantic glasses that if you've ever seen The Simpsons, there's an episode where Homer does jury duty, and he falls asleep, and he has fake glasses that have eyes painted on them, so it looks like he's awake, even though you know he's asleep because he's snoring. And that's what these glasses look like. I mean, they're like, come on, Batman, did you get... You're supposed to be like a master of disguise. Did you get this from like a spirit Halloween store? I mean, what's going on, man? I mean, come on. I love it. And they're, and he's wearing them and it, they're in the subway, of course. Yeah. Right? He's still got his, his sunglasses on. And yet the Kingslayer still knows exactly who they are. Yep. He's <laughs> good. It's, all right. Kingslayer guy is good. Doesn't yeah, most on. hitmen would have been fooled, but not me. Um, although that is probably my favorite sequence uh, uh, between that or the Wonder Woman sequence in terms of Batman um, having to, you know, jump down on the tracks. And although it's a little confusing to me, you'd think they Batman would jump to the other side or something or back, and he jumps onto the oncoming car in that last panel on page six. Which and, does not seem uh, like a great idea. Yeah, it seems like he'd get be hard to hold on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But he's Batman, so yeah, right. And it's a nice sequence; like it's well executed yeah, by yeah, Ramona Freyden. Mm -hmm. And it's also just unusual in that he's not dressed as Batman. Yeah, you know, he's, mm -hmm. he's in his he's in his, uh, his disguise. He's not his matches Malone disguise. But he yeah. kind of looks a bit with the, with those shades. He kind of looks a little like Plastic Man. I have to say, <laughs> yeah, the, big, the, the shades big are huge. Yeah, the shades are, are massive. And I do like the little notation was after he rescues the guy and he jumps onto the the, uh, the train. The stand, the um, bystanders are amazed. One guy says, "What a jump! Never saw anything like it. You ought to be in the Olympics, man." And so, say, could uh, could that be, guy be one of them superheroes? And he says, "No, nah, they wear skin tight costumes." So I thought that was fun. That even you know, to yep. normal people, they're like, "Well, that's really not what most people can do." It's kind of amazing. That was great. Yeah. So then the, the next sequence, as I said, is the Wonder Twins in a cab with Solovar. And it just reminds you what a bizarre place the DC Universe is. <laughs> that 
you can just be you, these two people and are in a costume and they can just be uh, have a giant talking gorilla in between. And that really isn't remarked upon in any real way. And the idea any that, cab would pick up that trio. Right. Right. Exactly. And the fact that Solovar is an ambassador to the U.N., <laughs> Which is like, what a crazy place the U.S. got to be. They're letting monkeys come in here. I know he's a super intelligent monkey, super intelligent ape. But still, it's just like that That just explodes the whole notion of what the world looks like in the D.C. universe. That yeah. Solovar is a, you know, card-carrying member of the United Nations. And even uh, yeah, though he's, yeah. you know, he comes in and he's got his cape on. He goes, <laughs> like, he's like, okay, that's just... That's, that's what goes on in the DC universe. And I did think that the Wonder Twins used their powers pretty well here in what they turned into, the shape of a of an iceberg and form of an elephant, right? But I I wondered why didn't Solovar get smushed <laughs> right? mm-hmm. between the two of them? Instead, the metal of the cab um, breaks. But uh, but it was still made for a, a fun visual. Yeah, uh, on it is. Page eight. Yeah, it is. It's fun. And then so they get the sequence with Robin where he's escorting Princess Evelina. And she gets crushed by all of these uh, these well wishers of these sort of fans and the uh, like, not paparazzi, but like onlookers, and they want Robin's autograph. And then Ren, uh, Kingslayer is there, and he throws a grenade, and Robin stops it in time and gets it gets it out of there. He manages to throw it away. I like that uh, he leans off of the uh, the awning and he hangs upside down. I give you a lift, Eva. Very thoughtful of you, Robin. That's totally Burt Ward, Robin kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, and it's great. And he's, he's really smooth because he takes her right in there and, you know, I'm going to go um, make some sweet music. That's Robin, right. Evelina. Uh, <laughs> and then back at the hotel room, we've got Aquaman and his pal King Volko. Now, I know that this was the costume that he had in the Aquaman costume. I know where you're going. <laughs> but Volko's short shorts are deeply, deeply uh, undignified for a man of his age and size, let's just say. And I love how she draws him here. I was like, "Hey, that's my body shape." But no, <laughs> he he um, he's got the little red shorty shorts and the blue uh, t-shirt. Uh, you know, you'd think they have an equivalent of a dress uniform or yes. something that he could wear to the UN. <laughs> it's like, what the heck is that about? Uh, this plays up the whole thing of Aquaman and Volko or any Atlantean needing water every hour, which is something that I'm very glad that DC Universe got rid of because it's mm. such an absurd weakness that poor Aquaman can't go an hour without water and it's someone and it does make Aquaman look a little undignified where you've got this great superhero and he's sort of literally face down in a sink you know like uh, uh, slashing his face like it's yeah mm -hmm. Rob I know how much you love Aquaman but I have to say his rescue was the weakest he turned on the spigot yeah, and that's how we rescued Volko you know it's uh it's a little bit lame but um the, the 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 attack of the fire coming through the shower head was was pretty was was the lamest attack as well. So yeah. I guess that takes care of that. I will I will not be nominating Aquaman for my best friend at the end of the <laughs> end of the uh, synopsis here Me either. Uh, so then we get Superman and the Prince Mark of Sidonia, and I love that Prince Mark dresses like a superhero. He's got this. He's got a cape, and he's got a big S on his. He he kind of dresses like one of the members of the Phantom Zone villains. He's kind of got a General Zod look, but he's dressed again with the big S, and he looks. And of course, as you mentioned, he looks just like Superman because yep. uh, he's even got down to the spit curl. And the whole thing is that um, Kingslayer sticks a bomb in the champagne and goes off. And I love that uh, Ramona Freyden gives one whole panel of just the sound effect. Bow, but that's yeah. just. I mean, as an artist, says, hey, helps fill a panel. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, that outfit that he's wearing is very similar to the one that he had, you know, from 1962 for, as a boy, because uh, he was he was wearing that uh, that outfit with the S for Sardonia uh, in, in in his uh, appearance. He had couldn't have another letter like M for Mark, yeah. but. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, that's and that's a that's a fun sequence. I like it. it's a, it's very a Pink Panther kind of exploding bottle of you know champagne. Yeah. Uh, and then we so we go back to the Kingslayer and he sees in the news that uh, actually I said the Daily Planet, but this really wouldn't be the Daily Planet because this is New York, so it wouldn't be the Daily Planet. Whatever New York Times, the New York uh, the New York Post, they publish a lot of false stuff, so it's probably the New York Post. <laughs> and uh, the, so you got Kingslayer. And I have to say, Kingslayer is not for an assassin. He really doesn't dot the I's and cross the T's because in every single sequence he leaves before he realizes that his mark is not actually dead. It's like, like yeah, dead. at least one of them worked. Yeah. Like, <laughs> when you, you stick around and make sure that they're dead. Don't, you know, but now he kind of gets out and then he hopes, Oh, they're not dead. Oh, well, I guess one of them is dead. Uh, so then the super friends all meet up and Batman is in there. And he's got his hand on his chin and he deduces that, you know, wait a minute. Why would, why, why, why did Kingslayer, have to do this whole thing about killing them beforehand. I mean, why, why would he bother to show up? Why would he try and kill them all? And then they realize, Oh wait, this is kind of his backup plan is to simply kill them all when they get to the UN. And then we get to the scene at the UN and there is a piece of dialogue in the watermelon cantaloupe, watermelon cantaloupe uh, conversational thing between all these leaders, including Solovar, where we see uh, someone say, I wish uh, everyone is here. And someone says, not quite. Where's the Latverian ruler? <laughs> e. Nelson Birdwell, once again, having a little fun at Marvel's expense by mentioning a Marvel concept in a Super Friends comic. Yeah, I love that. And then then uh, Prince Mark comes in. So, oh, I am here. I was not killed. Thanks to the Super Friends. <laughs> and then and then they and then they go stop him, like you said, in the in the. In the summary uh, from sitting in their chairs and their microphones had poison gas and there's heat rays. There's all kinds of ways to kill them and, and none of them work. Right. And then I love that uh, the Kingslayer's big plan at the end is just I'm just going to come in with a gun and shoot everybody. Right. That's his, that's his big cleanup. It's just <laughs> like I'm just going to do that. Like, all right, when in doubt, just come in and just shoot people. Like, OK, well, you do realize that Superman and Wonder Woman are there. Right. But anyway, and then you get the final page of an action sequence where the Super Friends go into action Poor Aquaman has to get a, an assist from Batman. Care for a climb, Aquaman? I'll be right behind you. Okay. All right. So, um, but what I love about the sequence is there's no dialogue. There's yeah, not even cool. any sound effects. It's a fun thing. And this does feature my favorite Aquaman moment. Back when I was doing the Aquaman Shrine and I would do these random panels of the day, this was one of my favorite panels because it's the shot of Batman, Robin, and Aquaman just tearing through dudes. Yeah, knocking them, throwing them off the side. Throwing them off, yeah, throwing them off stairwell. And there's one guy with his arms out. He's like, like, (laughs) and Aquaman is literally holding a guy over his head. So I just love Aquaman just like, you know, having no sort of regard for the health of these guys. He's just like, he's beating the crap out of these dudes, which I think is great. I do think it wrapped up a little it, quick yes my, i was gonna say that it all does wrap up a little too fast especially when you realize the final panel features <laughs> one two three four five six seven word balloons where you had we to get re- them all in from leaving them off on the other panels with exactly. no word balloons i guess yeah and they get they realize you know they sort of make reminder that oh yeah didn't overlord hire him to do this you know like and of course the super friends don't know that and they right. talk about how we're going to get uh, the magic lasso to force it out of him. And it features a very curious line of dialogue from Robin where they talk about uh, Wonder Woman says, I can use my magic lasso. 
if they'll accept the truth, it will make him tell it in court. And Robin says, let's do it and worry about legalities <laughs> later. I, okay. I know. He's a, he, uh, yeah, but the uh, the best line is about uh, Gleek would have liked uh, to meet Solifar. Meet Solifar. So, wah, wah, wah. You know. but, and it's weird because they specifically said, you'll have to sit this one out, Gleek. And I was yeah, like, no why couldn't he have gone, right. couldn't he have gone on anyway? <laughs> yeah, I think they did it just for that gag. But, but yeah, it does rev up a little too quickly. And, I mean, yeah, this really – couldn't be enough of a story for a two-part. I mean, I guess it could have been. They could have gone after Overlord at that point and see what shenanigans he's, he's up to. But it is sort of funny that Overlord appears in his opening pages and then that's it. Like, the yeah. story's over and we kind of forget about him. Presumably, the Super Friends, you know, followed up. But we never know because as far as I know, the Overlord never returned. So that's it. Yeah, well, or, I haven't been reading ahead. I don't know. I, it felt, feels like they're setting something up to be, but I don't, I'm not rereading ahead. So, uh, right. Neither am I. So I'm hoping I'm we'll see him yeah. again. Yeah. Maybe so. We'll see. I, in fact, for some reason, I kind of think my memory is jogging that he does reappear. But again, like you said, I'm not reading ahead either. I'm kind of reading the month to month again, just kind of right. keep it fresh a little bit as opposed to the jumping ahead. And so, uh, that's the end of the story. And like I said, it does wrap up a, a little too fast. On the letters page, there is a really rough letter from Mr. Anthony J. Pignataro, who says, Super Frenchure has come a long way. After reading the first issue, I said to myself, boy, I'm not going to read this trash again. And I kept my promise. Whew. Man, I, I thought that was right, too. But my my favorite part of the letters page, Rob, was um, the letter and the answer to Rick right below that, Rick Pelagi, where he, I, I did – who says that Jor-El was named for Jerome Siegel. And, um, you know, I don't know if that's true, but uh, E. Nelson Bridwell seems to say it's true. And uh, it makes sense. But I thought that was uh, a really cool thing. I, I had no recollection of that. Yeah, I didn't know any of that. I was, I, again, that was, that was news to me. Uh, and, then, uh, they, and then the following two letters, both of them complement the appearance of Red Tornado. Yeah. And and even and even uh, E. Nelson Birdwell comments on that and says, "Wow, Red Tornado is like way more popular than we thought." Thanks for <laughs> Vanguard for bringing it back. Um, one thing that I real I, I realized a little too late was the um, even though E. Nelson Birdwell is the writer and he is an- he is answering the letters here, which presumably is the job of the editor. Mm. Uh, the editor of this book and actually a couple of issues previous went from Denny O'Neill to Larry Hama, yeah. and it's sort of funny because I mean, it's Larry Hama seems like a strange choice. When you think, A, he was very young at the time. He would have been in probably his 20s mm-hmm. uh, at DC Comics and already to be you know, promoted to editor, which just seems strange. And then as we, what we know of Larry Hama, Larry Hama is in many ways like a real man's man. He loves guns and he loves yeah. – he wrote every Joe, right? Guy Joe. I mean he wrote – he did Savage Tales for Marvel in the 80s. I mean he is and, – mm-hmm. and the idea that you would assign him basically a kitty comic seems like a very strange choice. Yeah, I, I hadn't realized that, um, you know, until I was more carefully looking at this one uh, in this too. And I, I thought the same thing. That's a strange, strange assignment. But yet he was, you know, they were all pretty young. Jerry Conway and Len Wein, they were all young. That's true. In early 20s at that age, they were running the show, uh, you know, or they were, they were, you know, Julie Schwartz was running the show for a lot of these, but. But, you know, they had their little kingdoms and their editorships, right? Yeah, so, that's right. Very right, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I love the, the publishorial on the facing page, which was all about Superman versus Muhammad Ali Treasury, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is a great, a great – and there was a great Treasury ad uh, a few pages back where they had uh, – don't miss any of these fantastic DC tabloids, Superman, Muhammad Ali, 
uh, the best of DC, one, Superman, Wonder Woman, the the Batman, uh, Ra's al Ghul's saga. Oh man, yeah. Superboy That's... and the Legion, the wedding one, and then of course Rudolph. Yeah, so, <laughs> always had to have Rudolph in there. Always had to have Rudolph in there. Yeah, those treasury ads were just oh yeah, man, the bees knees on those things. So, so overall, uh, what did you think of this story in general? I mean, is it one of your one of your least favorites so far? One of your favorites in the middle? How, what do you think overall is, of Kingslayer? Um, so far, of the ones that we've been rereading, I, 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 I you know, um, better than the first couple. Uh, I have to say, I like the three parter. A bit more, mm-hmm. uh, just for the the scope of it, and adding in the Global Guardians and all the rest. But I I really liked how each of the Super Friends in this one gets their gets their you know, sort of moment to shine, um, whether it's uh, the, the, you know a real shining moment or not. Uh, but they mm-hmm. each get the, their chance. Um, the ending was a little rushed, but I like the idea, even though as goofy as the uh, Overlord looks, I like the idea of sort of the. <laughs> The uh, I don't know maybe he's the dark side of the uh, Super Friends universe or something, <laughs> but uh, I like that idea that he's there and paying this guy to go do this assassination. Of course, none of which works, but, yeah, uh, but right, overall, yeah. I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. It was fun. Hey, King Slayer, I'm stopping payment on the check. You know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> so well, it's a perfect segue to what we always end every uh, episode here with, like uh, in terms of best friend what super what member of the super friends do you think came out best in this issue well um this was tough because each of them get pretty equal um uh airtime right wonder woman the, is pretty cool lassoing the the three missiles right robin's got the the cool um moves on the young princess and and catching the grenade and everything. Batman just looking cool without his, his, his costume and does his whole thing. But I think I have to give it to Superman because he not only, um, fakes the death, right? And uses that as a way to, uh, capture them at the end. But, um, but you know, it's a cool visual where he's opening up, like you said, with a blah on the bottle mm-hmm. of champagne. And then he's standing there in the middle of the page with the, um, with the cost, his Superman costume underneath the uh, Prince Mark's outfit. Uh, and then at the bottom, he says, here, I'll, I'll give you some of Clark Kent's clothes. Go to his hotel room. He looks almost as much like me as you do. <laughs> so from that line alone, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to vote for Superman. I, I'm right there with you. I gave Superman the, the, the award for best friend in this issue. He gets, he gets kind of, he doesn't get the most to do, as you say, but he, his stuff, his sequence is the most dynamic and, you know, un, like he's luring, he's um, not luring Kingslayer, but he's built, he's ahead of Kingslayer yeah. in this sequence as the rest of the heroes are catching up. But yeah. he actually knows that Kingslayer is going to do this and probably do it via a bomb. Now, why, why he doesn't um, maybe not let the room service guy in? Uh, that seems a little suspicious. Or, or catch him. Or catch him. <laughs> you know, he does, have, right does have super speed. Yeah, you could chase him down the hallway or whatever. But at the very least, he is one step ahead of Kingslayer, which I, I liked. And then the blowing up sequence is fun. And so, yeah, I would give it to, to Superman of, of the five super, super. Certainly not Aquaman, as much as it pains no, me to say. I'm afraid so, not. Yeah. Certainly not Aquaman. So, again, regarding the villain, not so much Overlord, but Kingslayer, mm-hmm. uh, do you think that he would have worked outside of the DCU? Would you want to have seen more of him? Well, given that, uh, you know, in the broader DCU, I'm not sure. He's very specific, right? Political assassinations. Um, unless maybe um, they could have brought him in to the Bwahaha Justice League to go after, like, the Queen of Bayalia or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but other than that, I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure. I mean, you've got a real assassin and somebody like Deathstroke and, and, the, and the rest. So I, I'm not so sure. But 
but maybe um, plan for a little bit of laughs and, and a comment like that. That's I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think they gave him enough of uh, in just a very short couple of panels, gave him enough of a personality yeah. that I thought he was memorable. I like that he is kind of like a sociopath. Yeah. That he's just like I don't, I don't, and it, even though I tell it to the shrink, it just gets gives him a little more characterization. That's true. And you, you know, you would have had to have. You really just could have made him a stock assassin, and that's it. But I like that he's kind of almost, he's just like Deadshot, you know, in some yeah. ways. He's just like, yeah, all right, whatever, just give me the money, I'll kill who I have to. Now, like I say, he's not terribly competent at his <laughs> job, uh, but maybe he'll get better. And I also like that he has all these other weapons that hang off his belt. He's got like a knife, you see, band- yeah. and all things. Uh, like if he was a Mego doll, you would lose your parts very quickly. All of a <laughs> yeah, um, his look is pretty good. It's yeah. pretty good. Uh, and I, I like the crown. I love the chest emblem, which is a logo yeah. with a cut through it, a, a crown with a cut through it. Yeah, that's, that's my favorite part of the costume, it's too. Very direct. I'm like, yeah, this is what I do. I take political leaders and I cut their heads off. Basically. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think maybe Kingslayer wouldn't have worked outside the Super Friends, but I wouldn't have minded, and I won't mind. Maybe he does come back. I have no idea. Mike's Amazing World, which is one of the essential sites, of course, that you use for this, doesn't list Kingslayer as a character. So mm-hmm. I don't know if he comes back as we get through these issues. Maybe he does come back. We'll find well, out. I don't know if Mike's Amazing World really um, looks hard at the Super Friends series because when I looked up um, Prince Mark. Um, they do not list this issue as another one of his appearances. They right, list the right. Adventure 303 and the reprint, but not but not this issue. Yeah, that's so, true. So it may just be you know continuity. What you know, as much as e. Nelson Bridwell wanted to put Super Friends in continuity, um, many other sources don't necessarily consider it that way. Right? Hard to believe it's not worth the effort to dig up a 35 year old comic and <laughs> featuring Prince Prince Mark of. Prince Mark of Segovia. Or oh, wait, no, that was the that was the Avengers. This is that country they dropped on the ground. So anyway, <laughs> Sedovia, Segovia, what's the difference? The Sedovia Accords are in the DC Universe. So uh, like I said, that's going to do it for uh, Super Friends number 11. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for stopping by. And I, I'm going to say I, I'm very confident in saying I think anyone listening to this Really, it's going to find it hard to believe this is your first podcast. <laughs> well, that's really nice of you to say, but uh, I appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. I, I had fun getting ready for it uh, over the weekend. I was rereading it and making a couple of notes and finding that at Adventure Comics. And uh, but uh, but thanks for having me, Rob. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem at all. It was, it was it was great to talk to you again. And so, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet? Well, I don't have a blog or anything, but if anybody um, wants to, um, you know, friend me on Facebook, uh, Paul Kien, K I E N, um, talk about comics. Um, feel free to do that. Love to love talking about it, and um, you know, uh, just just reach out. Happy to happy to talk comics anytime. All right. Very cool. So, all right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We want you to stay tuned. I'm going to run some podcast promos. And when I come back, I'm going to do some listener feedback. Movies, TV, comics, music, pop culture affidavit has it all. It's everything random in the world of popular culture. And it's all covered by me, Tom Panneries. New episodes drop monthly at 2TrueFreaks.com. And be sure to check out blog posts about random pop culture topics at PopCultureAffidavit.com. Pop Culture Affidavit, the sworn testimony of a dork.
Bang, bang, bang. Oh, howdy, partner. Time for timer. Do you ever get that hungry feeling after school? Boy, I do. I'm so hungry, I could eat a wagon wheel. When I'm slow on the draw and I need something to chaw, I hanker for a hunk of cheese. When my ten-gallon hats are feeling five gallons flat, I got something planned, which is little cheese sandwiches. Come on! Here's a great little snack to tide you over till dinner. If you want something delicious and nutritious, cheese is a super snack. Look, a wagon wheel. When my get-up-and-go has got up and went, I hanker for a hunk of cheese. When I'm dancing, I hold down and my boots kind of slow down or any time I'm weak in the knees. I hanker for a hunk of, a slabber slice a chunk of, a snacker is a winner and yet won't spoil my dinner. I hanker for a hunk of cheese. Yahoo! And we're back with the part of the show I like to call Super Fans, and that's where I cover the listener feedback that we got for the previous episode, which in this case was For All Mankind, episode 10, where my special super friend guest was John Wilson. So we're going to do the comments from the website, finewaterpodcast.com. First up is Matt Royce, who says, wow, what a great episode. I have to find a copy of this issue. It's too bad that Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog were not still part of the book to make it a full-on Scooby-Doo pastiche. The cover even evokes the Scooby gang gathered around reading the book from the show's opening. I hadn't even, even thought about that, Matt. Thank you. Uh, you're also right about how awesome an Aquaman creature from the Black Lagoon would be. Someone get on that. It would be amazing. Especially since Aquaman could conceivably communicate with the creature. DC should have made a go with this monster friends team. They had the World War II creature commandos. Why not a galaxy-spanning adventure book featuring these characters? Kids love monsters. It would have been a fun book. One last thing, yes, Ian B. totally cheated by having Xanon turn into a yellow fog. Yeah, co-sign on that, Matt. Uh, next up is uh, Martin Gray, our friend. He says, that nice idea. DC could spook up the Super Friends logo and call it Super Fiends. Love it, Martin. Seller Dweller says, hello, Super Fans. As they were my favorite characters, I consider myself a Wonder Twins expert. I could address the issues you mentioned in the episode. All right, strap in, everybody. As John said, the cartoon was very inconsistent with Xana Jaina fist-bumping to return to their human forms. However, there were a handful of episodes where they did that. Two that quickly come to mind are The Lion Men and The Water Beast. There were a few episodes where they did not. The book is much more consistent. Regarding Xan as a tornado, or tornado is a narrow, violently rotating column of air that extends from the base of a thunderstorm to the ground, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Since thunderstorms contain, thunderstorms contain water, Xan could conceivably turn himself into a tornado. Yellow fog? Not sure I can defend that. However, my one question was always how Jaina survived in the ocean as a goldfish. Aren't they a freshwater fish? Funny comment regarding uh, John's comments on Zane and, and Jaina's power set. There was a recent 12-issue maxi-series that reintroduced the Wonder Twins to current DC continuity. In the first issue, Superman is telling Batman and Wonder Woman about the twins coming to the Hall of Justice to be interns. And he says, she can change into animals, and he morphs into water. This results in blank stares from Batman and Wonder Woman. And Wonder Woman says, water? That's underwhelming. I'm underwhelmed. So <laughs> I have to read that miniseries sometimes. That does sound... That does sound fun. So thank you so much, Chuck, for the uh, for the information. I really do appreciate it. Uh, Isamu uh, Yukonori, of course, son of our beloved Zoom, says, So Jaina's power knows what the animal she names is and when she doesn't? Is that another Exorian power? 
I haven't even thought about Eastman. Uh, Chris Franken from our network says, Great show, fellas. I love this issue. I first read the story in the SF Digest, sent to me by a certain guy who knows a thing or two about Digest. The only reason I didn't volunteer to cover it is because Cindy and I covered it on the Supermates House of Franklinstein many years ago. I really wish the super monsters had returned somewhere. My son Andrew has a stretchy mummy action figure when he was a kid, and I thought about that when I first read this story. I think there's a lot of potential in these characters for a spin-off comic or even cartoon, but Monsters as Heroes wasn't really new since Dell had done it with their strange comics in the mid-60s, and the TV series Monster Squad had just recently aired when this comic hit the shelves. Later, there would be a show with heroic monsters called the Drac Pack as well. Oh, and I'm glad John got this one because not only was he a great guest, but folks had to be tired of hearing me after three episodes in a row anyway. Never, Chris, never tired of hearing from you. Uh, Edo Boznar says, although, as noted in the comments earlier shows, I did read a few of the earlier issues of the series in one way or another. This is the first one I remember buying off the spinner rack. After this, I became a semi-regular reader of the series. And man, I love the Monster Heroes, or as Matt dubbed them, the Monster Friends. They definitely should have made more appearances in Super Friends if nowhere else. The letter to the editor you mentioned with the fan complaining about the appearances of the non-Super Friend JLAers is interesting and that my thoughts back then were just the opposite. Furthermore, I recall really loving it when, in the earlier seasons of the Super Friends cartoon, the Flash or Green Arrow made a guest appearance. Absolutely uh, to that, Ado. I loved those episodes where Green Arrow showed up or Plastic Man. That early one with Plastic Man was great. I loved seeing those characters in the Super Friends universe, uh, especially since when you think about that we never – that the Plastic Man and Green Arrow were not used in Challenge of the Super Friends. So it's kind of a – of course, Plastic Man got his own series. But we never saw him again with the Super Friends, which was too bad because I really loved uh, – those things and man those if you've ever seen them those alex toth uh, character sheets of green hour and plastic man are just oh they're just so beautiful mm, chef's kiss uh captain entropy says great job rob and john i think i read this one in the digest multiple times uh because i've never seen the excellent cover before yesterday but all the rest was super familiar it had the didactic effect Ian B was going for too i think i internalized that just because someone looks like the bad guy or good guy it doesn't mean they are the fact that it's such an important lesson maybe why it shows up so much in children's media I also remember pondering how these monsters were probably very popular where they came from. Maybe even glamorous celebrities like the media and the DCU try to portray Wonder Woman and Superman. And, of course, the power couple of Aquaman and Mirror Rob. Thank you, Captain. Uh, it was a great early lesson in shifting one's perspective, and it continues to pay off today. Uh, Martin Gray chimes back in. He says, uh, thanks for another terrific episode. It was lovely to have John's insights added to your own. Batman did use a trained bat to deliver a message in an early adventure. Of course he's a bat expert. I apologize for frigid Sigrid. I did hear what sounded like an edit after you said that, Rob. You were probably sighing very heavily. No, I just put a really heavy, uh, long silence in there, Matt Martin. That was for you. I just didn't have any response, and I decided to leave it in. Uh, Sean, Sean Myers, uh, of course, previous guest on this show, says, uh, Hello, John, and welcome to the podcast. It was great hearing you talk about this issue. I agree with what you said about this comic filling in the spaces that the show could never delve into. Two things that I want to mention about the art. One, Rob. I've always loved Evan Dockshainer's artwork. He is so especially suited for Captain Marvel Shazam, but never saw the influence of Ramon until you mentioned it. Thanks for that. Two, I love the detail on the splash page of the Wonder Twins reflection on the curved mirror above and behind them. There's absolutely no need for that to be there, but it looks so good. I didn't even notice that, uh, Sean. I mean, I did, but I didn't really. I didn't think enough to mention it, so thank you for that. And then he follows up. Uh, Rob, do you remember back when I used to like you? Uh Uh-oh. Uh, those happy times were back before you didn't mention that you talked about the story on episode 10 of Digest Cast. Even though your love of Digest was eclipsed on that episode by your guest host, uh, it still should have been talked about on the show. After all, we are all super friends. And then Sean follows up again. 
He says, oh, Rob, who am I trying to kid? I just can't stay mad at someone who loves the Digest, Super Friends, MASH, What's Up, Doc, and Treasuries. Thank you, Sean. You really took me on a journey there. Uh, yeah, I, I did forget to mention that we covered that over on DigestCast. My my apologies. And I, I reference to Chris's uh, letter, I did forget to mention that, the yeah, he covered the story on House of Frankenstein, of course, of which I am a huge fan and has one more episode to go for this season, which uh, if you're not listening to that show, you should be because it's fantastic. Uh, Little Russell Burbage says, I've always loved this story, although every time I reread it, there is another glitch or scene that I catch, such as Angelo Fogg. It is still one of my favorite all-time stories. In fact, I use it as a base for one of my own homemade JLA stories. I wrote it, and I had Andy Capella's draw Universal Heroes back in 2016. So if you want to see how I would have written a meeting between Aquaman and the Creature of the Black Lagoon, check out the story here. And then Russell provides the links to his website, uh, which is the Universal Heroes colorized version. Again, you can see the full link over on fireandwaterpodcast.com. And uh, Russell's uh, homemade comics are super fun. Uh, really very charming, and so yeah, you should check them out. Uh, it's, I, I've, I, again, I read that one, and I even have some of Russell's original comics in my possession, and I've, I think I forgot that he did that crossover with Aquaman and the Creature, which is something that DC needs to get on as soon as possible. And then finally, Jason Keene says, a perfectly timed episode with my entire street decorating for Halloween early. Hearing Rob and John geek out in their different yet complimentary ways was a lot of fun. I totally agree about how different better, the comic stories are compared with the cartoon series. By the way, my daughter was huge into the Nick Jr. show Go Diego Go. I highly recommend season one episode, A Boo Boo on the Pygmy Marmoset, to learn more than you ever thought you'd ever care to know about them. <laughs> Thank you, Thank you, Jason. I probably won't be doing that, but I appreciate the information nonetheless. So uh, that's going to do it for the comments on the website. Thank you, everybody. Uh, for All Mankind really does get a whole lot of comments. I think one episode of For All Mankind gets more comments than I think uh, any. 30 episodes of Pod Dylan. I know the two shows aren't com- comparable, but uh, I do appreciate how much feedback the show gets, and it's always fun to go over it on the show. So, again, keep those comments coming. So, that's going to do it for this episode of For All Mankind. Of course, uh, if you want to follow the show, all the back episodes are on our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and now on Amazon Music. We're always talking super friends over on Twitter at For All Mankind SF. And finally, if you want to support the Find Water Podcast Network, Go to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts, and there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So a big super friend salute to my pal Chuck Dill for his support of For All Mankind. So as I said, that's going to do it. Big thanks to Paul Can for stopping by. It was so much fun talking to him. And again, like I said, I can't believe it was his first podcast. He just did tremendously well, and it was just uh, super great to get a chance to talk to him again. The, the lunch Paul and I had just before, again, everything went crazy. Uh, was was enormously fun. I love getting out to meet people that listen to the shows and, and getting to meet them face-to-face. So uh, I'm hoping we will get to do it again as soon as the craziness dies down. So, again, big thanks to Paul for, for stopping by. So uh, that's going to do it. Thanks for listening for All Mankind. Join us next episode when we look at Super Friends number 12, The Atomic Twosome.
NFW TV podcast.